Hello and welcome back to Conversations with Moon Body Soul. Today I am diving into mushrooms, psychedelics, and alternate states of consciousness. Now, if this is something that you're like, I have no interest in this, she is crazy, I can't believe she's talking about it, <laughs> I ask that you please keep an open mind. Also, I want to remind you, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a medical professional in any way. I will be sharing resources that I've found, my own personal experience, but I am in no way telling you that you need to do this, that you should do this. Um, I'm just sharing from my heart, my own experience, because this has really changed my life and I am fascinated about the psychedelic realm and a lot of what we know about it or what we think we know about it, what we've been told from the media, is quite different than what it actually does to our bodies and our brain and our experience. So just want to preface with that. That's what this episode will be about. Thank you so much for your patience. I was planning on recording every single week. I would love to get a podcast out, but we had some unfortunate hiccups happen here at home with our precious pup, Murphy. So if you listened to the last episode, I opened up about losing my dog, Roxy, and it was really hard to open up and talk about that and, you know, open that wound again. And then days later, like maybe even the next day after releasing that episode, our dog, Murphy, uh, had an accident in the house and it was bloody urine and we rushed her to the vet. She passed a stone and we found out that she has a bladder infection and struvite stones. So it has been really hard and challenging moving through that and just making sure she's as comfortable as possible. Countless vet visits, giving her medication, and it's really just opened up that wound all over again of losing a pet or having a pet that's in pain. It's really, really hard. So thank you for your patience. I'm excited to finally just be talking about this. Another reason why I feel like I've been putting off doing this episode is I feel like I needed to have so much research and all of these facts and figures to give you, but I decided, you know what? These are conversations. That's what this episode or that's what this podcast is called, Conversations with Moon, Body, Soul. This is just a conversation about psychedelics, about mushrooms and altered states of consciousness. There are so many resources and books and places where you can go get facts and studies and tangible things to work with. Um, and I'm not going to put the pressure that it's my job to relay all those things to you. I'll definitely guide you in some way, but please double check everything I say. If I've said something incorrectly, let me know. Um, I think I was putting a lot of pressure on myself for this to be a very informed and researched podcast, which I still think it will be, but I'm reminding myself this is just a conversation and a lot of it I just want to share my own experience and what I find valuable about these tools. For the last several years, I have been absolutely obsessed with psychedelics and altered states of consciousness. If you were to talk to me um, at a party, maybe run into me at a social gathering, the beach, anywhere, the conversation inevitably would go towards psychedelics and mushrooms. <laughs> um, I would say this has been the case since about 2018. That is when my own personal journey of really diving into altered states of consciousness started. If you want to 
add in meditation. It definitely started before that. But when talking about psychedelics, around 2018 is when I really started researching and trying to gather as much information for myself as possible around psychedelics. I cannot remember which book I read first, but... It was either How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan, which is now a Netflix series. So if you're not a big reader, that is a great way to digest a lot of valuable information around psychedelics. Um, How to Change Your Mind is awesome. It goes through Michael Pollan's own experience of seeking out different psychedelics. And I just love the way he writes. I love the way he storytells. That was a really great place to start. It maybe was that book or it was When the Impossible Happens, Adventures in Non-Ordinary Realities by Dr. Stanislav Grof. So my friend Karen gifted me that book and I devoured it. I absolutely loved it. He is actually the founder of holotropic breathwork. If you're familiar with the different styles of breathwork, holotropic breathwork is a way to tap into an altered state of consciousness, very similar to LSD or psilocybin, but by using the breath. So he has a particular style, but in that book, he goes through a lot of different altered states of consciousness and non-ordinary realities is what he calls it. Both of those books were super impactful into learning what it would feel like, what the experience is, and the different types of psychedelic experiences you can have. I also became fascinated with researching psychedelic history and how it came to be that these drugs were demonized and made to be illegal, and there was such a huge stigma around them because I for sure was taught that growing up, that they were horrible, that if you used LSD, you would jump out a window. There were these horror stories about letting a a substance alter your brain and alter your mind. And so looking into the history and their past, you can kind of, now that we're so removed from it, see why all of that stigma was placed on these drugs. Now, just to start with a brief history of mushrooms in our culture, I want to mention that they have been used for thousands of years across a lot of different cultures, but they really didn't come into the American culture until the 1950s when Gordon Wasson and his wife Valentina traveled to Mexico where they met with uh, a curandera, Maria Sabina, who showed them these magic mushrooms, or what she called the flesh of the gods. And she took them on a journey, and after this, they featured this story in Life magazine in 1957, an entire publication about these magical mushrooms. Um, It's really awesome if you have a chance to look at that issue of Life magazine. It is amazing to read through. But that is when the American people were first introduced to mushrooms and these drugs that could alter your brain. And for Gordon Wasson, it truly changed his life. He became obsessed with mushrooms and mycology and really devoted his life to that. Another story that I really love that I read in a book um, about Gordon Wasson and his wife Valentina was on their honeymoon. They rented a cabin in the woods and 
when they got there, she found mushrooms all over and she was so excited and she couldn't wait to eat them. And he, on the other hand, was super scared, super mycophobic, which is totally a word about society being terrified of mushrooms because yes, there are deadly mushrooms that can kill you. That is a fact. But Valentina, who is from a totally different background, she was born in Russia. So she had a totally different experience growing up with mushrooms. So she said that she was going to cook them and eat them and he was absolutely terrified and thought he was going to lose his wife on their honeymoon. Of course, she just felt states of euphoria. I believe she was eating Amanita muscaria. I could be wrong. Um, that's totally different than the psilocybin mushrooms that I will be talking about in this episode. Of course, she was fine. She lived the next day. He was fascinated that she lived and realized like, wow, maybe we don't know that much about mushrooms. When they did go to Mexico and they had that experience with psilocybin mushrooms and he told the world about it in Life magazine, he explained how mushrooms could possibly be the first religious sacrament that these ancient cultures had because they can evoke feelings of a religious experience. To quote Gordon from the magazine, he said, all in all, the mushroom experience has been likened to a religious conversation and not without reason. After their experience in Mexico, Wasson sent some of the mushrooms to a chemist, Albert Hoffman, who is actually the same chemist who synthesized LSD in 1940s, I believe, and he was able to synthesize the psilocybin out of the mushrooms and the psilocin. After he synthesized those compounds, they took them back to Maria Sabina in Mexico and she tried the synthetic version of the psilocybin and she did say that the same magic spirit energy was there. Um, so that is what was actually used when scientists and uh, psychologists started studying the effects of psilocybin on people in America in the early uh, 1960s. But around this same time, recreational use of psilocybin mushrooms became super popular. A lot of people flocked to the tiny village where Maria Sabina lived. And later in her life, she said that she really regretted sharing the mushrooms with the American people because so many people flocked to her village and they were not very respectful and the town actually ended up hating her for bringing this uh, kind of crazy spectacle of people to the town. Back in America, there were a lot of studies going on with psilocybin in the early 1960s. And in 1962, a really famous experiment was done at Harvard involving Timothy Leary and Richard Alpert. They were putting on this experiment. Timothy Leary, who would later be known as the most dangerous man in America because he was so vocal about psychedelics and the use of these mind-altering drugs, and Richard Alpert, who you may know now as Ram Dass. He wrote the book Be Here Now, one of my absolute favorite mind-opening books. They put on this experiment in 1962 at Harvard, where they had 20 participants. Half of them received 30 milligrams, I believe, of psilocybin, and the other half received a placebo of niacin. 
They took them to a chapel. They had them meditate and attend a Good Friday church service. And the results were pretty incredible. The people who took the psilocybin reported having profound religious experiences, a sense of unity with the universe, a deeper understanding of the nature of existence. And their experiences were described as the most powerful and meaningful experiences of their lives. At the time, that was a really controversial experiment, although it did show that people who consumed the psilocybin had a very meaningful, profound experience. It was also super controversial to be ingesting those drugs at the time. And Timothy Leary and Richard Alpert were actually fired at from Harvard in 1963 due to this research, but not because they were doing it, it was legal at the time, but because they were not supposed to be giving the drugs to undergraduates and they ended up giving drugs to undergraduates, they also were consuming the psilocybin at the same time as doing these experiments. If you want to learn more about that, there is a great book called The Harvard Psychedelic Club that really dives into this part of the history of psilocybin mushrooms. But moving on, um, psilocybin and psychedelics became a big part of the counterculture in the 1960s. This is also also when the Vietnam War was happening. It technically started in 1955, but it was really starting to rev up, and psilocybin was outlawed. It became a Schedule One drug in 1968, right before the draft started in 1969. So there's a lot of different beliefs around this. I definitely am one of the people that believe this drug that helped you open your mind and see everything as love, <laughs> just to put it very bluntly, that definitely is a big thing that comes from taking psilocybin. You see yourself as a part of the whole. It is not conducive to war and sending young people to war if they are realizing it comes down to loving each other. I strongly think that it was a Schedule One drug because it really didn't help with getting the American people to be behind a war and sending their kids off to fight for our country. Still to this day, when I'm recording this podcast, it is a Schedule One drug. What does Schedule One drug mean? It means that there is no value to this drug, that it is considered highly uh, potential for abuse and addiction, and that there's no no medical use in using it for treatment. Now, if you have already seen How to Change Your Mind or you've read that book, you will definitely see where it has been very valuable in treatment. The most famous study, I believe, was done by John Hopkins. This study did not take place until 2006. That is a full 38 years that it took to start studying the effects again. So it was demonized back in 1968. It took 38 years until finally a medical educational institution decided to study its effects and see if it had medical value. So they were studying the effects of psilocybin in participants to see if it would help with anxiety and depression and end-of-life distress, so people who are about to die. They were a part of this experiment to see if it would help them with the thoughts about death and letting go. And what this study found is absolutely astonishing. They definitely found that participants reported significant reductions in anxiety and depression after taking the psilocybin. 
They also reported increased openness, imagination, creativity, which lasted for several weeks after the treatment. Many participants also reported having profound spiritual or mystical experiences during the session, and most importantly, that there was lasting effects. The study found that the positive effects of one single psilocybin session lasted up to six months or even longer for some participants. And if you ask some of the participants that were part of this study, many of them to this day say it is one of the most profound experiences of their life. After researching and reading all about this, my mind was completely blown because I grew up with this very demonized look to anyone who did drugs. I thought there was absolutely no value in it. And the more that I read about these studies and that John Hopkins study specifically with anxiety and depression, I definitely wanted to try it. (laughs) So I probably spent a good year or two reading and researching before the experience finally became available to me. My first trip and experience with psilocybin is one that is very sacred to me. And so opening up and sharing about it, um, it's really special for me to go back and remember this. And it happened exactly as I would have wanted it to. I was in a very supportive and loving group of women. We were out in the desert in Joshua Tree. Um, There was about eight of us, four of us partook in taking the mushrooms four people did not. We sat around a fire, we talked, and it was truly such a supportive and beautiful container. The full moon rose. It was magical. Uh, I just had a very open heart. It was a very laughy experience. And at the same time, we were celebrating one of my very good friends. It was her bachelorette party. So the event was definitely filled with a lot of love and support, and it just was such a great place to experience it for the first time. One of my really good friends was there who was way more experienced than I was, than anyone was that was there um, with psychedelics, and she was very supportive. One of the biggest things that I want to share that when you read and research about um, taking psychedelics, that set and setting is so important. The set is your mindset, what you're going into it with, making yourself very comfortable with the experience. Setting intentions is really huge and just having an open mind um, that you can come back to those intentions and remind yourself that you chose to have this experience and why you wanted to have this experience. It helps when you start to feel like you're losing control to be able to remind yourself, oh yeah, this is my intention. I want to open my heart or whatever it is to come back to that and help it anchor you. Now, the setting where you're doing this experience is also just as important. A lot of people really like to be outside in nature. That is for sure my preferred method. But if you are inside, having a clean space, really comfy and cozy, those two things are just so important to how your trip and your experience will go. So don't overlook set and setting if you are going to embark on a psychedelic experience. I remember after having that experience, feeling a euphoric feeling for 
many, many days and weeks after the experience, and I just kept coming back to how special it was. I journaled a lot about it, and now I kind of want to pause <laughs> the podcast and see if I can't find that journal where I wrote down everything that happened for me, but it was life-changing for me. It really opened me up. I remember my intention, I think, was to open my third eye and just to be open, and I felt like that happened for me. It was so, so magical, and I could not stop telling people about the experience and talking to people about it. And I actually remember after having this experience, meeting up with my mom and my grandmother for the Denver Gym Show, and my mom telling me that she felt like I was different, and I decided to open up and tell her about it. And I was really shocked that I felt so comfortable telling her about it. But again, once you realize how stigmatized mushrooms are and psychedelics are, once you have those experience where it helps you take a step back, I feel so much more comfortable talking about it now. I know they're still illegal. I know they're still stigmatized, but it feels like doing a disservice if I were to keep all this information to myself. So I feel like I tell everybody about it. I mean, even at my last Thanksgiving at my husband's family, I was talking about mushrooms and trying to share <laughs> information about mushrooms with people because they are so life-changing, especially if you're dealing with a hard time, depression and anxiety, they can definitely be helpful. So I do want to dive into what is happening in your brain when you consume psilocybin. Psilocybin actually gets metabolized into psilocin. And that acts on your serotonin receptors in the brain. This can lead to a lot of different effects, including increased activity in the prefrontal cortex and a shutting down of the default mode network. So both of these things have the feeling of ego dissolution and the mystical type of experience that most people report when they take psilocybin. The decreased activity in the default mode network is believed to allow for greater connectivity between other regions of the brain. I really like the way that I believe Michael Pollan describes it in his book, How to Change Your Mind, that our mind has these grooves, these neural pathways that we take. Think of them as a ski slope and where the skis have gone and these paths are carved out. That is what your brain usually does in any given situation. But if you take mushrooms, this allows you to see other paths and other connect connections and places that you've never gone before to carve out a new neural pathway, a new way to deal with situations that come up in your brain. For me personally, I felt like a little kid. Every conversation or idea that came up, I felt like I was seeing it from a different standpoint, almost like having that curiosity of when I was a child. Go check out some of the books that I mentioned because they do a really good job of explaining the science behind psilocybin and the brain. And there's even some photos of brain scans. There's definitely more research being done now um, to really show what's happening in the brain. A lot of neuroscience is catching up to this so we can fully understand and not just try to conceptualize conceptualize how we feel taking these mind-altering drugs, but really see what's happening in the brain when you are consuming psychedelics. 
going back to the legality of psilocybin and psychedelics, because that is one of the main questions people have is, well, how can I do it if it's illegal? First and foremost, you can try to find a study. If you want to do it the legal way, go find a study to be a participant in. That is a big way that you could do it legally. Um, the other thing is there's certain places where it is legal or it's decriminalized. There are states like Colorado and Oregon that have decriminalized it. Even my county where I live in Santa Cruz has decriminalized it, which is absolutely amazing. And I think it is on the horizon to become legal, hopefully just in therapeutic setting, even would be great very, very soon. Because if you look, Australia just legalized it um, for therapeutic setting, psilocybin and MDMA. That is happening later this year. So definitely research and see. I believe there's some countries maybe in the Netherlands where it's legal. You could go do a legal retreat. So go check it out if you're interested in doing it the most legal way. But hopefully that is something that we do not even have to think about in the future because I find that these are very powerful, helpful substances that I hope will be decriminalized and destigmatized. Also, I wanted to mention there are some really great resources online where you can learn more. Erowid is one of the oldest websites that provides information about psychoactive psychoactive substances. That's E-R-O-W-I-D.org. Also, MAPS is doing really great work. That is a nonprofit research and educational organization that focuses on medical, legal, and cultural context for people to benefit from the careful use of psychedelics. MAPS stands for the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. They're doing great work. The Third Wave is also a great resource go check this out. Don't just take my experience and my word for it, but go do your own research. Um, I just think it's so valuable that there are these organizations that are really trying to push through and change the stigma around psychedelics. Now, if you are lucky like me and you're living in a place where it is decriminalized, I highly suggest learning how to grow your own mushrooms. You can grow your own culinary mushrooms. It's a very similar experience, but it has been one of the most fun and fascinating things I've ever done is diving into mycology. I absolutely love the experience of it all. I would love to share more on that, but it is its own big story. I could go off on a huge tangent on the growing process and watching them, but it is truly magical. I need to set up a time lapse next time so I can fully show you because the moment that they start to pin and a little, little tiny mushroom guy pops up within that same day, just hours, it grows so fast and it opens up and it's just so beautiful to see these pop up. It's definitely been one of the more rewarding things I've dove into in my life. And speaking about where I live here in the Santa Cruz Mountains, I do have to touch on how special this place is. Um, I know I've kind of shared the story about how magical it was to find this place in the last episode, but a big part that I left out is the psychedelic history of the place where we live right now. So I will dive into that just a little bit. If you remember earlier, I was talking about Timothy Leary being one of 
the researchers from Harvard who was fired in the 1960s after the Good Friday experiment. He went on to be one of the biggest names in psychedelic history. He was telling kids to turn on, tune in, and drop out. Think for yourself, question authority. He was telling people that they should try the psychoactive drugs, and so he was called the most dangerous man in America. And he was actually great friends with the owner of the property where we live. And when we moved in, actually when we toured the place, I just happened to mention that I was really fascinated and into mycology. And Bruce, um, the owner of our property, said, oh my goodness, you're going to love this. And he took us into the barn and showed us Timothy Leary's entire collection of like his life's work, all of his books, all of his records, his magazines, his newspaper clippings. So when he passed away, Timothy Leary's family gave all of this stuff to Bruce and Bruce then contacted a museum in New York and they came but they only took like one box of the stuff and they left everything else. And all of these books and things are so fascinating because he wrote in the margins, he wrote in the first page, he had commentary on everything. Um, he had that Life magazine. I was able to flip through that. I mean, it is truly fascinating to see all of this psychedelic history just in this barn on this random property that we found on Craigslist that now we call our home. Bruce was also really good friends with Terrence McKenna. A few weeks ago, it was the anniversary of Terrence McKenna's death. And Bentley and I sat down and interviewed Bruce. You can find a video of that on Bentley's page, Bentley Rolling. But he was friends with Terrence McKenna, and that is actually who first introduced Bruce to mushrooms and opened his mind into taking psychedelics. So we're definitely surrounded by a rich history, not only on this property, but this area of the Santa Cruz Mountains. There's a lot of psychedelic history here, just being in close proximity to San Francisco and this is also where the Merry Pranksters were from, um, and this is actually also where MAPS is founded. So this region is just a really cool place to be so obsessed with psychedelics and be surrounded by all this history here. I feel really, really lucky, <laughs> and I didn't even realize that when we decided that we wanted to move to this area, and it's only really turned my fascination on full blast because along with all of those books that were Timothy Leary's and Bruce's books, he has so many books books around psychedelics that I've just been able to go into that little library and read and check out and open my mind even more. Paul Stamets is also actually, I believe, from this area. If you don't know who Paul Stamets is, you should check out Fantastic Fungi. I can't believe I haven't mentioned that yet. That is also on Netflix. It is a very beautifully shot documentary about mushrooms. It is super magical. And talking about Paul Stamets reminds me of the next thing I want to mention, which is microdosing. Most people, when they're talking about psilocybin and psychedelics, they're taking a trip where you ingest up to anywhere from two grams, one gram, five grams, more than that if you're doing a hero's dose, for a huge trip experience that lasts several hours. But there's also something called microdosing, where you take such a small dose, it's called a subperceptual dose, so you don't actually feel any of the effects of tripping, but this tiny, tiny dose is thought to still have the effects in your brain that can help with anxiety, depression, ADHD, 
really it has not been studied enough. I cannot wait until more studies about microdosing comes out because right now most of the information that we have on microdosing is anecdotal. Although there are some big names like James Fadiman, I believe he is the one who kind of started this microdosing movement. Um, he has collected a lot of anecdotal research and people's own findings from microdosing. I've personally tried microdosing. This was another big reason why I wanted to hold off on doing the podcast a little bit because I just started a new microdosing protocol. A great book that'll help break down microdosing even better than I can explain it. I purchased a couple years ago. It's called The Psilocybin Mushroom Companion. It is awesome. It definitely explains how to have a safe trip, how to ingest safely, how to hold space for other people, set and setting, and microdosing. It goes into all of that. It definitely talks about different protocols you can do. So you can take them every other day, every two days. Paul Stamens believes in doing like three days on, four days off. So there's a lot of different mixed uh, information out there about how to truly microdose. Most recently, I personally have tried Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And I have found that that has been the easiest way for me to stick to a regimen because it's really easy to know the date. If you're doing every two days or every other day, it can get kind of confusing, at least for myself. I forget to do it. Um, or I have found that one day on, two days off is really nice because the effects of taking a sub-perpetual dose, in my experience, where you don't even feel it when you're taking it, I still feel the effects for two days after. There's just this elevated feeling that I get. I almost feel like that constant dark cloud above me that's kind of pessimistic, that says everything's going wrong, or man, this is hard and heavy, that just kind of lifts a little bit. And I don't feel that weight of the world on me on the days that I'm microdosing and the following days afterwards. Another really good book that I want to shout out, and I will say if you go to the show notes, I will link every single one of these books there so you can easily find them. Um, this book is called A Really Good Day, and I just listened to this audiobook super recently, and it actually blew my mind. In this book, Ilette, I believe is how you say her name, was dealing with... PMDD, which I was shocked because I was referred this book just as another book to learn more about microdosing, and I did not realize that the author of the book was doing it because of her symptoms of PMDD. And I will just open up here and let you guys know that very recently I have been diagnosed with PMDD. If you're not familiar with what it is, it is premenstrual dysphoric disorder, I believe is what it is. I should actually look that up. But it is basically a super aggressive, more intense form of PMS. It lasts a lot longer than PMS. It can be up to like two weeks around your period when you're experiencing anxiety, worry, depression, suicidal thoughts, just overall a very hard time because your body sensitivity to the hormone changes that are happening in your body and in your brain during the menstrual cycle. This is something that is relatively new. I remember when I was in high school, I think that's when it was first kind of coming out that this PMDD was a thing. There was a specific birth control you could go on for PMDD. And I remember my doctor 
suggesting that I had PMDD but wasn't quite sure. I think I went on that specific birth control. I'm not sure, but I've been on so many different types of birth control. That's a whole nother podcast. And most recently, I decided to get off all forms of birth control, take out my hormonal IDD, and try to naturally balance my body within the last like two to three years. And in doing that, I have definitely realized that my symptoms are super strong for about two weeks of the month. And it got to a place uh, this year where it felt really heavy, really hard, really bad. And I decided I wanted to try to get a therapist to talk to. So I went through my insurance. I did several calls, several questionnaires. Oh my God, it was absolutely a nightmare for me to be filling out all these forms. But in the end, the doctor said that she thought I had PMDD. And on one hand, I really appreciate having a diagnosis because it's something you can kind of look into and learn more about. But on the other hand, I feel like we are so nuanced and these things are really complex and complicated and just slapping a name on it doesn't necessarily mean like that's your experience and that's what you have, if that makes sense. But I'm kind of diving into what is PMDD? How can I kind of, you know, better help myself without going on medication? That book, A Really Good Day, I didn't even realize that's what it was about. But she talks about all of the different things she's tried. And then when she got close to menopause, her normal medication she was using for PMDD, it didn't work anymore because her period was so erratic. So someone suggested she turn to microdosing. And in the book, she's microdosing LSD, not psilocybin. She kind of explains the differences, but she does talk about the effects um, and she does a really good job cataloging every single day. And in that book, she's doing, I believe, either Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or one day on, two days off. But she gives a great review of every single day, what she's feeling, what she's noticing. And she also talks about what her husband and partner notices about her. Because again, relationships, they're our greatest mirrors. And uh, somebody who knows you so well, they will maybe will notice changes in you that you don't notice yourself. So I'm definitely giving uh, microdosing with psilocybin a shot to see if it is helpful. Now, I've just started this journey within this past month, so I'm not quite sure how I feel about it just yet. I'm trying a Monday, Wednesday, Friday approach. I'm doing a very, very tiny sub-perceptual dose, which means I do not feel it. Honestly, if you're trying to microdose and you do feel the effects of the mushrooms, it really is uh, kind of hard and just complicates your day because you can't go about your day in the same way. So if you start to feel it, you're just on this edge of like, oh no, you kind of feel it in your stomach. Um, You don't necessarily feel good. You just feel like kind of off, I guess you could say. So taking the right dose for you, it might take figuring it out. But once you find that dose where you do not feel the effects, you can go about your day, you can work, you can have conversations. That is the ideal dose. So I'm still trying that out myself. I'm seeing how I like it. Uh, I really do feel like it's maybe elevated my mood, but at the same time, I have started uh, being more active. I've started doing a strength training where I'm working out five days a week and 
that could be helping to my mood being improved because myself and Bentley have noticed that I am in higher spirits, I am having a better mood, and I've been going to therapy, which I can't say enough about therapy. Even though I don't really feel like I've found my perfect therapist yet, I still need to kind of shop around. The sessions that I have had, even with somebody I don't fully feel connected to, they have been super, super helpful. So, I'm not trying to tell you to take mushrooms. I'm not trying to tell you that they are the end-all, be-all, and they'll fix all of your problems, but they are definitely something that I've had great experiences with, and they are something that is not addictive. I can tell you that from my personal experience, but there's also a study out of Canada that was recently done that dives into their properties and if they're addictive or not. Most people, after having a trip experience, they are good. They don't want it again. Like, they're good for quite a while. Uh, I can tell you after my most recent big trip experience, which was last July, like, I have not even wanted to touch them. Like, I'm good. Thank you. (laughs) Like, you... Definitely, it's not something that you'll want to do every single day or every weekend because it is something that is so transformative and kind of big. You kind of have to uh, process it all, which brings me to a really good point about integration when tripping. If you are planning on doing any sort of psychedelic trip, make sure you work in time for integration. So if you can have like an entire day afterwards where you don't have anything planned, you can relax, maybe journal about your experience, write about it, really come back to yourself and take away what was powerful for you with that experience is huge. There's also different coaches for integrating psychedelic experiences and honestly that's something that I want to dive into more when I think about like what my perfect career job would be which yes I'm still trying to figure that out (laughs) I don't think this is the end of my journey being having a store and doing this moon body soul thing I honestly think psychedelic coaching would be pretty fascinating I love holding space for people in the moon circles I love doing my one-on-one business mentorship, but when I really think about what lights me up, exploring our subconscious and our other realms of consciousness is just super fascinating. I would love to dive more into that. So who knows? That's maybe where my career will take me. I will report back. And I think this goes without saying, but definitely if you're going to dabble in psychedelics, please, please, please hold them in high regard. Don't party with them. Don't give them out to people who aren't ready for the medicine. Honor their history and the power of the psychedelics, Uh, especially if you're taking them don't have alcohol or other things in your system that can kind of alter the effects because they are powerful and they should be held in high regard and used as a medicine. Also, we can't talk about psychedelics or drugs in general without talking about race and the war on drugs, which is definitely, definitely racist. It started out racist. The first drug that was outlawed was opium, um, and it was the smoking of opium when drinking it was perfectly fine, but there were Asian people that were smoking it, so that was not okay. Um, And then marijuana, which I'm calling it marijuana because that is the stigmatized word that was used. Very, very racist because of Hispanic people um, 
and black jazz musicians smoking it. They outlawed marijuana and it has been used to imprison people of color. Um, If you look at the people who are in prison, white people are five times as likely to do drugs, but they are 10 times as many black people and people of color that are incarcerated due to drugs. So look at legality um, and race and the war on drugs definitely all connected. There's a really good book. I believe it's called Drug Use for Grownups. I could be wrong. It could be be just called The War on Drugs, but it goes into this. Um, That is something that needs to be talked about because here I am a very privileged white person talking about drugs and I'm not scared to talk about it, but I think if I was a person of color, this would be a totally different conversation. So I can't talk about that without bringing it up. The war on drugs is racist, just plain and simple. Now, I know I've talked a lot about these very positive uh, things that have come from taking mushrooms and psychedelics, but I do want to touch on people that should not take mushrooms or psychedelics because there can be consequences. I also want to mention there have not been any recorded deaths directly caused by psilocybin mushrooms, but there are potential risk and adverse effects for some people. Um, If you have any sort of mental health condition such as schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, you definitely want to be careful. If you are taking any medications like antidepressants or MAO inhibitors, you want to be careful. Um, I would say talk to your doctor. Again, I'm not giving medical advice. I just want to mention if you have any of those conditions, it is definitely worth it to talk to an actual doctor and medical professional before you try anything. And I know I mentioned it earlier, but I want to go back to breathwork because transformative breathwork can be just as powerful as any hallucinogenic drug but it can also be quite safer. You're not taking any sort of substance. There are still risks with transformative breathwork, but um, it is really, really amazing that you can have these experiences without any sort of substances. One of my best friends, Karen, who I've definitely talked about, she's who I've hosted my retreats with, she is an amazing breathwork practitioner. She does online, she does in person. We're definitely going to hold more retreats after she has her baby. And just talking to the people who have done the breathwork at our retreat, it is absolutely mind-blowing. They're having psychedelic experiences without any sort of substances, just their own breath. All right, I paused the podcast and I went and tried to find my journal from my very first psychedelic trip and I was unsuccessful, but I did find another journal from 2019 that I definitely wrote a lot after any sort of psychedelic experience that I had. One of my favorite entries that I wrote was, Life says, enjoy this. It's our mind that says, why should I enjoy this? How should I enjoy this? Do I deserve to enjoy this? I want to enjoy this. Am I enjoying this enough? Can I enjoy this better? Is this enough? Should I do something else? How can I capture this? But this will always be here, waiting for your mind to stop so you can enjoy this. I absolutely love that. 
I needed that message from that trip. I feel like I let my mind get caught up and do the monkey mind thing where it's just going, going, going. Yes, it's helpful. Our minds are very helpful for us, but they're comes a time and a place where we need to shut off that monkey mind and just truly enjoy the moment and that is definitely something that psilocybin has given me a year later i had a really powerful experience with my sisters and my best friend and i wrote some insights from that as well i wrote experience is just feeling nothing matters the present moment is endless what you feel is what you create the story you tell yourself about the past is just a story it's not real this moment is real only what you choose to experience and feel present moment awareness is life blissfulness lies and feeling fully into the now time doesn't exist existence is vibration a lot of that can seem just like mumbo jumble new agey words but having this psychedelic experience i felt those things fully truthfully they were all that was real i truly truly could feel into them i remember that particular experience a feeling all of the ideas that I know one of my favorite um, spiritual entertainers is what he goes by, Alan Watts talks about, about nothing matters and how everything is just a vibration, blah, blah, blah. But I actually felt it as truth and it was so powerful. And I remember just telling my sisters over and over, nothing matters nothing matters and my sisters were arguing with me and i told them i was not going to move until they could tell me something that mattered and they were talking and bringing stuff up like oh my job matters I'm like your job does not matter oh family matters i'm like yeah but it doesn't really matter like nothing matters and it wasn't in this nihilistic way of like oh nothing matters this is ridiculous it was nothing matters and it's beautiful and when i flipped the page of this journal in huge letters taking up the whole page it says nothing matters and it is beautiful and one of the things about having these psychedelic experiences is that it is extremely hard to put into words there are almost no words to describe how it truly feels you can kind of describe it but words just aren't enough and so these insights that i've written down those are kind of like the messages i was left with that were really powerful for me and helped me uh, immensely along my journey and just my everyday life but the actual experiences themselves and what I was seeing and experiencing and feeling is impossible to put into words. The very last time that I had a psychedelic experience last July was with Bentley and in that experience I remember even in the moment I couldn't tell him how I was feeling. I would try to and the moment I would put it into words my feeling would shift so fast it was impossible. It truly felt like everything all at once. That's all I could describe it as, everything all at once. So these are just a few insights that I feel comfortable sharing with you, but it is just such a vast realm of experiences when you decide to take a psychedelic. And I will say that most people are afraid of having a quote-unquote bad trip 
I truly don't believe there is such thing as a bad trip. I think if you can sit with it and just understand it's all information, um, it might have been a hard and difficult experience, but putting that label of bad on it isn't going to help anything. You can use it and you can grow from it. I've definitely had a difficult trip before, a difficult experience, but it wasn't bad. Honestly, it opened my eyes fully and really helped me actually after it happened. Um, in that experience, I was faced with death and the thought of losing my loved ones one day and losing Bentley and even bringing it up now, I start to get really emotional, but I'm actually super grateful that I had that experience and I had that difficult, challenging psychedelic experience because it brought all of those feelings up for me and I was able to work through them and I was able to appreciate just a little bit more what we have now in life, like it really did make me realize every single moment matters that we do have with the people that we love. And one of the things that I really like in that book that I mentioned at the beginning, The Non-Ordinary States of Consciousness, he talks about when you start engaging with psychedelic experiences that you actually notice more and more like coincidences come up in your life. You start to see these patterns and these connections. You start connecting the dots. And I've definitely experienced that that difficult trip that I had where I was faced with the fact that one day you know I could lose someone I love and I may lose Bentley and it would be devastating that very next day I met a woman a complete stranger and we had such a powerful moment together where I saw her we were at the beach in Hawaii and she was out in the water with her daughter and we showed up on this beach. It was very secluded. She seemed like a local. I thought that she was being standoffish just because we were a bunch of tourists and she didn't want to talk to us. She seemed very like annoyed that we were there, but I just thought, oh, whatever, I'm going to be nice. And this was the day after that psychedelic experience. Bentley was in the water. He was picking up trash that had come in on the beach and he was throwing it away. And she saw him do that. And she said to me, are you guys from around here, do you live here? And I said, no, we're just visiting. We live in LA. And she said, oh, I don't normally see tourists pick up the trash. Like, thank you so much. And I was like, oh yeah, he always does that. And then she said, are you two married? And I was like, no, not yet. This was in 2019. Bentley took me to Hawaii for my birthday for 29, which was actually amazing because 2020, as we all know, when I turned 30, <laughs> there's no way we could have done a big trip like that. Um, but anyways, he came back and she said, I hope this isn't too forward to tell you, but when you guys got here, I was out in the water because I was washing my husband's shirt in the water because he passed away from a motorcycle accident a few weeks ago and I really did want to scatter his ashes here. This is our favorite beach, but... The church wanted a formal burial, so instead I just got his clothes back that he was wearing in the accident, and I'm washing them here. Oh, this is kind of hard to tell the story without crying. It always chokes me up. Um, and she said, I just want to let you guys know that whatever you're waiting for, don't wait for anything, because anything can happen. We were waiting to have another kid. We were, you know, saving up and doing all this stuff. But at the end of the day, like one day he was on his way home and he got hit by a car and he was gone. So just don't wait for anything. And it was so incredibly powerful, especially after the night before where I really faced the thought of losing Bentley and then meeting this woman who had just lost the love of her life. 
and she asked her daughter to go out to the car and um, bring us back a photo of him and a little prayer from his funeral. And it was really, really touching, really sweet to meet with her. And I feel like the universe just really wanted us to meet her because that night Bentley and I had taken photos of the night sky right there at that entrance to the beach, which happened to be her church with her husband. So after we got home, I said, oh my gosh, we should try to find that woman um, on the internet and send her those photos of the night sky outside the church. Like she would probably really appreciate that and just send her a little like, thank you. It was nice to meet you. So I have her husband's little prayer card from his funeral. So I have his name and I go to look up her and I end up finding her on LinkedIn. And the other crazy coincidence that came from this was that when we got to that side of the island, there were no restaurants that we could find that didn't use nuts in their kitchen. Bentley has a severe allergy. We always go to a place that avoids them just to avoid any cross-contamination. And the only restaurant we could find that did not use nuts was, oh man, I'm blanking on which one it was. It was a big chain restaurant. Oh, I can't remember what it was called. It was the macaroni grill. Um, but when we got home and we looked her up and I wanted to send her that photo of the night sky, I found her on LinkedIn and she was the manager of that exact same macaroni grill. Like out of all of the restaurants and places that we could have gone, we were in her restaurant the night before. Like all of it just was so incredibly connected. It's it just blew my mind. Okay, I feel like this is a pretty good place to wrap up this conversation. I definitely want to go deeper into it. If you guys would like to hear more, please let me know. I've also spoken with Bruce, the owner of the property that we're on, and asked if he would like to come on the podcast. And I think he's definitely up for it, but let me know if you guys would want to hear from him. He, again, was friends with Timothy Leary and Terrence McKenna, has a wealth of information about psychedelics, and his own story with ayahuasca is pretty mind-blowing. So I don't want to give too much of that away, but let me know if you would like to have him on the podcast or if there's anyone else that you would like me to dive deeper into about the psychedelic um, therapies because I, for one, am fascinated by it. I cannot wait for more studies to be done. I can't wait for it to become legal so that we can have more information about these very powerful plant medicines. Thank you guys so much for listening. I am planning on coming back next week for an episode because it is Moonbody Soul's seventh birthday. I cannot thank you enough for your support and making it to where I've done this for seven years. It absolutely blows my mind. It's a dream job for sure. So thank you, thank you, thank you. So much gratitude. Thank you so much for listening to Conversations with Moonbody Soul. Be sure to follow if you don't want to miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, leave a review and a rating. And if you want to email over any special guests or topic suggestions, email hello at moonbodysoul.com.